Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you um, that you are present, that you are here, that you are relevant, and you are ready. Father, I just want to, I want to pray that you would get us ready. You would bind distractions and that you would help us to be present to you and your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are always speaking and we pray that our ears are open right now for this moment, for the message that has been stirring in Andrew, for him to deliver with, from you, God. We just thank you that through Andrew we can hear your voice this morning. We just pray for clarity. We pray for uh, humility to be able to receive what we need to. So, God, we thank you so much for Andrew. We thank you for this word. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Sorry, I was a bit slow because I was running the camera. So if the camera was dodgy, that was me. Um, and I'm just going to advertise. Can you put the lights on, Adam? Thank you. Um, Christy's sick this morning, so Adam's by himself. So I was helping on sound and camera. So we need some tech people. So here's my vision, right? Um, 12 tech people. So everyone's on once a week. So four on... Pro presenter, which is little pictures you get up. Four on sound and four on the camera. And everyone does once a month. How's that? So um, if you're into tech stuff, the camera's really easy, unless you're like me and you can't stand still and the whole thing wobbles and, you know. So anyway, put your hand up for that. They're easy jobs. We need them. It makes us everything work smoother. Hey, researchers interviewed runners. I don't understand why they didn't come and interview me. Um, about their experiences with running and ageing. Maybe they could have interviewed me on the ageing one. They found that runners who assigned significant importance to success in terms of physical performance were more likely to stop running as they aged. Consequently, they may stop running simply because they feel discouraged. So they used to run because they could win, and as they got older, because the outcomes weren't as good, they got discouraged and quit. I have a number of friends, colleagues along the way who are no longer in ministry or some no longer in a Christian fellowship. Some causes have been disappointments. These are some of the excuses. Well, you know, I don't want to use the word excuses. These are some of the reasons I've heard from different people over the years. Frustration with building programs. The ending of marriages. The beginning of marriages. Frustration with the denomination they minister with. But I wonder, among all the reasons, the overarching one is possibly discouragement. I wonder how many Christians stop running simply because they feel discouraged. And the writer of the Hebrews knew this. His readers were suffering the same risk as they suffered persecution. And this morning I want to bring, hoping to bring, um, desire to bring a word of encouragement, particularly to anyone struggling this morning with discouragement. It's been a very different couple of years, tough in many ways. We could ask, where's God in all this? And sometimes it gets closer to home. Why didn't, why didn't, why God didn't my plans come through? Why hasn't this or that happened? Why do I feel stuck? Why am I still so misunderstood and the questions can go on and on? I really sense I had a different theme I wanted to preach on. And as I tried to write that sermon, it just didn't happen. <laughs> it's really frustrating. That I've been preaching for 20 years. So then you go looking through the files to see if the Holy Spirit guides you to one of those. And you hope he does because then you don't have to write another one. And then um, you can tweak it, but it's a lot less work. Um, 
But you know what? I just sat and I thought, oh, God, I, I want to get your heart for the church. And I got quite emotional. And I felt like there's a lot of people in our church who work hard and sometimes discouraged that they don't see the same output for the input. Does that make sense? And the kingdom of God is like that, right? Because you, put a, you think of the farmer, he sows, for, you know, and then he, well, he plows and he gets the soil ready, then he sows, then he looks after it. It's a long time sometimes to harvest. There's a lot of work before harvest time. And um, in, the, in the kingdom of God, it's even worse, right? Because we're sowing now for eternity. So the wait can be long. And so the discouragement can come. And so I want to join with the writer to the Hebrews this morning and bring a word of encouragement. He wanted to encourage the Hebrew Christians that were being persecuted. I want to bring a word of encouragement to you today. So firstly, be encouraged by remembering what you have already endured. That's on your sheets if you're in the room. Um, it'll come up on the screen if you're online. Hebrews 10, 32. I'm looking mainly at 32 to about 37, I think, in Hebrews chapter 10. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, in other words, when they first became Christians, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So these guys had endured before. They'd suffered before and they'd come through it. And he's saying, remember, reflect on what you've been through before. He went on to list some of the things they had been through, all kinds of suffering that they'd endured. They'd been insulted. Anyone ever been in, don't have to put your hands up today. You ever been insulted for being a Christian? Ever been misunderstood? I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about today when you're insulted for being a jerk, that's different. But when we're insulted for being a Christian, when we're misunderstood for following Jesus, that's what we're talking about. The Hebrews were persecuted for being Christians. They'd been insulted, persecuted, imprisoned, not sure anyone here has been in prison yet for being a Christian. And their property had been taken. Imagine that. That happens around our world, that people lose their property just for being Christian. Incredible. But this morning I believe that God wants you to know that he sees what you have endured. He's, he's seen it when your family's misunderstood you because you're a Christian and they may not be. He sees your faithfulness. It does not go unseen by him. He saw you when you stood alone for him and no one else was there to stand with you. He saw that. He saw when your friends and family mocked you because of your faith. He saw, he sees what you have given up to follow him. I feel that we need to hear this morning, I'll probably say it again, God is no man's debtor. Sometimes we feel like he pays late. <laughs> But I tell you what, he pays. He pays. He's good to his word. God was with you and he still is. And what the writer wanted the Hebrew Christians to know, and God wants us to know, that if you have endured before, you can endure again. He's still with you and his strength, power and words of encouragement are still with you. Also, I want you this morning, secondly, to be encouraged by keeping your confidence. It's the next thing the writer of Hebrews said. 
to his readers. He said, do not throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. Now, I've always thought when I've read this verse, confidence meant, you know, your confidence and maybe your confidence in God. But, you know, the word talks about a boldness in speech and an openness and a right to, um, to speak frankly without reservation. Is that kind of when we first become Christians and you forget it's not, you don't, you know, you're so excited about knowing Jesus, you forget the mate down the road doesn't care and doesn't want to know and is going to mock you. Say, like, oh, I found Jesus this week. That kind of innocence and excitement and boldness is what that confidence is talking about. Those who lose confidence in Christ and in his promises, this is so interesting. As in some of the commentaries I was reading, return to rituals and ceremonies. When we lose our first love, when we lose the innocence of the beginning of our relationship to Jesus, we go to rituals. And so we become religious, in other words. We're never meant to be religious. We're never called to be religious. We're called to be in relationship. It brings about it a peace and a freedom. When we are suffering or are persecuted, when we are striving, being faithful, yet haven't seen a victory for a while, or haven't had a breakthrough for a while, it's easy to be tempted to think, What's the point? What's the point to lose sight? Again, confidence means that freedom, that peace, that at-homeness. You know, when if your relationship with Jesus is running well at the moment, you feel at home with him. Just feel at home. I'm still worshipping with Kerry Job. My favourite song at the moment, I get ripped off for this because last year my, my favourite song was um, Jira, you know, um, God Provides by Maverick City and... Elevation worship, I think they were. And so, yeah, I'm not good at remembering words. So, you know, I go around the house singing, Jara, you are enough. And that's about all I know. So all my kids know that phrase because I've sung it all year. <laughs> they go, what's the other words? Dad? Oh, I don't know, but it's a great song. And so this one is, um, there's this song out there by Kerry Job called My First Love. You know, I'm returning to my first love. And the words around that, if you want to Google, are just magnificent. And to sit in that space and realize, you know what? A lot of the stuff I worry about, I'm not supposed to worry about. A lot of stuff that's burdening me, I'm not supposed to be burdened by. Because like um, Katie said today, when we're in the shelter of his wings, Psalm 91, um, he's, he takes care of everything. And we're protected. So this confidence is what makes us feel bold, free, and confident. Your confidence, your childlike plainness, some other words for it, freedom, peace of heart, rest, sense of security, and therefore courage. The apostle meant a great deal when he said, cast not away, therefore your confidence. It's a lot in that word. It's the boldness, freedom, peace, and contentment that comes from drawing on Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I remember, um, I don't know what age, but it was a period somewhere between 12 and probably 14. I played a fair bit of soccer. And um, I wasn't that great. And I'd play fullback. And I had a lot of confidence in my team. I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. But I had some mates. One we called him Ross Brockhurst. called him Brocky. And he was a great fullback. And um, then there was Big P. He, we called him Big P, my mate Pete. Um, he was just, you know, one of those kids that sprouts early. But he would play on the wing 
And if he connected with the soccer ball, it'd just about get to the goal. You know, we're only 12, 13-year-old guys, but he could kick the thing more than half the field. And then there's Brett Morrison, who's a goalie. He's a brilliant goalie. And so I had heaps of confidence in my team and probably in myself, but because of who I was with. Does that make sense? It's the confidence we have um, due to the relationship we have with Jesus. My confidence in soccer was due to the relationship I had with these three guys. The confidence we have as Christians is because of the relationship we have with Jesus, because of who he is. It's a confidence that comes from knowing that because we are for him, he is for us. Actually, he is for us before we're even for him. Because we hold up his name, he has our back. Jesus and us are a team. Our confidence comes because he is in the game with us. He is our strength and our confidence comes from him and is in him. And so the last thing we want to do is throw it away. Hey, last thing, when you've got confidence like that, that brings peace and contentment. The last thing we want to do is throw it away. It's almost like throwing away our faith. And finally, this morning, I want us to be encouraged by keeping our eyes on the prize. It's an interesting verse he quoted um, really from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And I felt this was a real word in season for today. In just and that's why I've titled this message, Almost There. I just sense for some people in the room or online, I'm not sure everyone, but I sense, and if this is speaking to you today, there's people who have been pushing, pushing, and even going through times of testing that that season is about to pass for you. Now, the breakthrough is about to come. And I'm going to speak in this point about it's broader than that. It's much broader than that because we're talking about eternity, not just here. But... um. I believe for that as well. It's interesting, the Greek word for little there, where it says in just a little while, is micros. I don't know if I pronounce that properly. We derive our English word micron from the Greek. A micron is a unit of length equal to one millionth of a meter. I've never dealt with a millionth of a meter. But it's used in many technological and scientific fields, a millionth of a meter. Now think about applying the word to time. The writer is saying that Jesus is coming in a millionth of a second. Isn't that interesting? I grew up in the church in the 70s, and they talked a lot about Jesus coming back. I felt maybe they talked about Jesus coming back too much. After preparing the sermon, I'm not sure they did. Maybe we don't talk about it enough. And I'll tell you why. This is just some um, writings I found really interesting, right? This is. It's worth noting that historically, right? So over history, when one sees a decline in the church, especially manifest by a decline of interest in serious Bible study and the pursuit of holiness, becoming more like Jesus, and separation from this world system, that the members begin to lose sight of the hope of Christ's coming. Such spiritual apathy and loss of hope in Christ's coming is often manifest itself in the church emphasizing programs rather than the person of Christ, and such detours lead many to forsake sound doctrine. Man, I've seen that in my lifetime. Interesting. Loss of focus 
on Jesus returning leads the church to become increasingly more interested in social causes at the expense of spiritual causes. Friends, our Salvation Army is actually on that track right now. I just want to speak it out. When I saw this, I stopped and went, wow, wow, wow. The Bible does teach that we need to be ready always for the return of Jesus. Teach us that. Read the New Testament. He could return today. Our hope is not in our plans for 2022, but in our eternal destiny in Christ. You're worried about 2022? You're looking the wrong way. You're placing your security, your hope, everything else in the wrong thing. Our hope has to be in Christ. That's where our hope comes from. That's where our joy comes from. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews was talking about. I remember in 1992, because, you know, that wasn't that long after the 70s. I was on the Salvos Discipleship School, then called whatever it was called. Had a few names over the years. And I was a student, and I had left being an electrician to study the Word of God in this community. I used to get in trouble because I called it the Swansea Commune. I don't think the leader wanted it to be like a hippie joint, you know, but I loved it. This community, and we ate together, and we prayed together, we ministered together, we studied the Word together, and we did rapture practice together. You ever done rapture practice? Jean Heron, the director's wife, taught me this. Rapture practice is just like this. You're getting ready to go. Are you ready to go? Hey, because you know that God sits outside of time. So he could come anytime. Are we ready? I remember a Bible study group I led in another church and wanted to study the book of Revelation. Luckily, they had notes because I had no idea how to do a study on the book of Revelation. They were good notes. And we're talking about this whole, you know, over the years, there's been this whole theory of the rapture and it is... is Derived from, you know, we'll be caught up in the air with Jesus. But then, you know, come up with this series of, do we go before the tribulation or before the great tribulation? And, you know, it's supposed to be... And you know what? All of this, you just got to be careful not to get too dogmatic about it, right? But I remember saying, I, I tend to think that we'll all suffer some tribulation, even some serious tribulation, because that's what makes us holy. Last time I checked, comfort doesn't make me more like Jesus. Tribulation does. Um, and it makes us more unified and ready to meet Jesus. And so this poor lady in our Bible study group said, no, no, I want to go early. And it troubled me. Because like, aren't we supposed to be okay with being persecuted? Aren't we supposed to? I don't mean in a sick way. I mean, like, expect it. Like, it's not, you know, when someone judges me for being a Christian, I'm not supposed to be surprised by that. If I've read the word. So, you know, we've studied Jesus returning for those. The other thing I thought of this, I thought, you know what? It says this. And um, Derek Prince does a great series on it. um, That Jesus is coming for those who long for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Do you love him so much that you long for his appearing? Or are you just a vending machine for you? Yeah, I think God loves us enough that he's happy to play vending machine for a while. But then he says, do you really love me? Do you really love me for me? I love this story. You may have heard it of Henry C. Morrison. 
was a faithful missionary who served the Lord in Africa for 40 years. He recalls that emotional day when he and his wife boarded a ship on their way back to the United States. His mind flooded with the memories of the wonderful experiences they'd enjoyed on the mission field. He began wondering what it would be like to return to his Midwestern hometown. Will anyone there still remember us after 40 years? Aboard that same ship that day was Henry, with Henry and his wife, was a former president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. He was running from a big game, big, he was returning, sorry, from a big game hunting trip in Africa. When the ship pulled into the New York Harbour, there were thousands of people there to meet the president. The crowds cheered and the bands played. There were signs, banners and billboards everywhere saying to him, welcome home. As a dear missionary and his wife left the ship, they saw that no one had come to welcome them back home. I want you to hear that this morning. No one came to welcome them home. You know what I've discovered more than anything that causes me to stumble more than anything else is my non-biblical expectations. <laughs> I learned another one this week. The covenant is not fair. Covenant relationship is not fair. What do I mean by that? When I'm in a contract, right, you want to buy my car, will you sign up? This is the car, it's got six cylinders and it's in this condition, this old, and you agree to pay four grand for it, right? It's a contract. We agree on it. It's happy, right? But a covenant relationship, a bit like marriage, well, marriage is a covenant relationship, says for better or worse, richer or poorer. It's not fair. It's not fair. Our relationship with Jesus is not fair to him because <laughs> he gave a lot more than we're ever going to give. So we're not meant to keep count, friends. We're not meant to keep count. With a heavy heart, Henry Morrison went to his hotel room and told his wife, Honey, for 40 years we've poured our lives into ministry and service. And yet we come back to America and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. Had the wrong expectations. His wife didn't. She came and sat down next to her husband. She put her hand on his shoulder and said to him, Henry, you have forgotten something. We're not home yet. You know, and as I was reflecting on this message, I thought, how much of my Christianity is worldly? How much is my perspective more from what I've taken on from the world than what I've learnt from the Bible? And friends, I believe that's where we get tripped up. I love Joyce Meyer. She says, you know, sometimes people hurt my feelings, but sometimes I get my feelings hurt. You know, have we got a biblical perspective on life? As I said before, I sense this morning that this is a word in season for some people here. 
Yes, you have an eternity sealed in heaven with Jesus, which is beyond, you know, it says, no eye has seen or ear has heard what the Lord has in store for those who love him. I was reading a book on judging. You get a sermon on that soon. That's an interesting book, hey? The world says, oh, you shouldn't judge. It says, no, no, the Bible says when to judge and when not to judge. You know, the Bible says we'll actually judge angels. How interesting. So there's a time to judge, friends, and there's time not to judge. See, the world gets hold of Scripture, twists us around, and we think it's biblical. It's actually biblical to judge certain things. So interesting. I also sense the Lord saying to some here that your season of testing is coming to an end. So endure. This is what I say to you this morning. Um, oh, I'm going to share the story anyway. I've shared it before, but this is a story that keeps coming up for me. I remember hearing someone share this devotional where these guys that bought a gold mine um, and they went digging for gold. Well, it's supposed to be a gold mine. So they went digging for gold, right? They went down here and they're digging, digging, digging. And they dug for ages, right? And never struck gold. And so they bought it up and, you know, a number of years later they sold it off. And the people that bought it decided to open it up and give it a crack one day. And they dug for one meter and struck gold. <laughs> what if you're just one meter away from your breakthrough? And you're going to quit. Don't throw away your confidence. And remember that Jesus is faithful to his promises. And I think I just want to finish with this is that we, we need to bring back this eternal perspective. Our faith, sure, is in the here and now. And absolutely God provides for our needs here and now. He answers our prayers here and now. But in the context of eternity, our life is like that big and eternity is like from the floor to the ceiling. Like it doesn't even compare. And I just believe as Christians and as a church in this day and age, we need to get it back to an eternal perspective. And I think it will shift a lot. I think it will shift a lot for me around my expectations. Oh, God. Joyce Meyer does this, right? You've heard her say that. Why, God, why? When, God, when? You know, when we get whiny. And it's like, you know what? You know what God does promise? Eternal salvation. He never promised you a bed of roses between now and then. He actually promised the opposite. You will suffer, you know? And like when Peter said, well, we've given up everything to follow you. He said, well, you know, and you'll have returned to you. Ten times or whatever Jesus said to him. You know, mother's brother's sister. And I've experienced that. I left my family to follow Jesus and I've gathered mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters all over the country. Hey? So we do get some of the fulfillment of the promise in this world. But I believe most of it is for the next world. And so we need to lift our eyes off this world and onto the next. And I think our endurance... Our ability to endure will grow much stronger and our joy will, be, will flow much greater. Let me pray. Invite the worship team up. Lord God, I'm not even totally sure what you want to do this morning, but I do really, really, really trust your word. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, as Nate's prayed today that about going deep, Lord, that your word would just 
um, yeah, get deep into the soil of our hearts and um, in a place where I'd be able to, um, to grow and um, bear fruit. And so, Lord, may we do whatever we need to do this morning to just receive um, your word, um, receive from your word, and to come into agreement with it. Um, Lord, because we know that when, um, Lord, you, you, you told us the truth, the truth, your word, the truth will set you free. And so, Lord, we want to live with that confidence. We want to live with that freedom that comes from coming into agreement and into alignment with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.